Hello. Hey, Jake. What's up, Josh? What's up? Um, I keep getting stuck on bottom side control. So wanted to ask you, I feel like this is the bane of my jujitsu career and maybe a lot of white belts get stuck on bottom side control. Um, what is it about side control that's so hard to get out of and how do you improve at getting out of bottom side control? Have you tried just standing up? <laughs> no, you know, I haven't. Maybe I should try that. Yeah, it's probably not going to work. <laughs> it's so probably going to lose a lot of energy. Try to stand up. Yeah, I mean, you can. For sure. <laughs> it's definitely valid. <laughs> um, but yeah, probably should be a, a last minute resort. But um, yeah, so I think, like you said, I think a lot of people get stuck in bottom side control. I think our friend Josh McKinney um, from the Isaga Jiu-Jitsu show, I think he like starts in side control because it's like a great way to explain like how to hold someone down effectively and also a great way to explain how to like escape positions and recover back to your guard. So um, yeah, I think it's kind of just like the staple position of beginners. Um, Even advanced people ride side control um, a lot. So yeah, I think it's I think it's important to acknowledge that it's a great position to control someone in. And like even the the Gracie people when they're teaching their law enforcement, well, oftentimes they'll they'll teach to get inside control and just kind of like remain perpendicular to them because especially if they don't even know like to get their knee in and like hip escape and stuff, people are just going to be bridging and it's going to be very difficult for them to get out of your control if that's their escape. So um, yeah, like if, if you don't want to get rolled over and, uh, your opponent doesn't have very technical responses, side control is a great way to just like maintain the position and, you know, ride it out. So, um, yeah, I think it's important to acknowledge that it does suck to get there. So, um, yeah, you're not, you're not alone. <laughs> yeah, that it, oh gosh, it's, it's so hard to get out of for me. Um, when I'm facing people around my skill level, that bottom side control is harder to get out of than, than, uh, back. And then back is probably the easiest one for me to get out of against people around like super beginner level people. And then mount is the second easiest for me. I don't know why side control is the, the hardest. Um, yeah. Why do you think, why do you think that might be for me? Do you think it's a technique thing? Do you think it's like a weight thing? I, it's hard. It's hard to uh, to answer like without seeing like an actual video. I think I think the problem a lot of times is that side control is like so close to guard that people almost start to get too offensive too quickly, if that makes sense, or they hang on to their offense a bit too long, and it puts them in a very vulnerable position. So. What I mean by that is like if you're doing some sort of attack and someone's passing your guard and you're still trying to do that attack, when they get past, you're going to have like absolutely zero of your frames in place. And then you're going to have to basically start from square one and then try and build up. So I think side control is much easier if you can kind of realize when the battle has been lost and that you need to start preparing for the next battle. Right. and even if they get psychic, like Gordon talks about this all the time, like 
who cares if someone passes your legs, if they can't control your head and arm, like your head and shoulders, then they can't actually do anything when they pass your legs. Mm. So as soon as you realize that your legs are going to get passed, you need to make it very difficult for them to control your head and shoulders. And then as they're trying to, it's going to give you space to recover. Granted, if they just like sit there and just want to control you, it can be very draining for you to try and, you know, just recover. But uh, like, if you're just not trying to get submitted, I think it's relatively not simple. I don't want to say it's like easy, but like the idea is just don't let them control your head and shoulders and who cares if they pass your legs pretty much. Um, but yeah, if you, if you're like attacking and you're hanging on to something and then they pass and now they're not only pass, but now they are controlling your head and shoulders and you're basically like getting pinned to the maximum degree, it's going to be difficult, you know? <laughs> yeah. I see what you're saying. Um, there's levels to like the side control, uh, control. Um, right. yeah. So that's a really good principle to keep in mind is <laughs> if you're going to get past, don't keep trying to get the arm bar or, or the, the sweep or whatever and get the frames in as soon as possible. I guess it's, it's almost like two parts of the question. One is like, how do I get out of side control? And the answer is don't get in side control. And then the, another part is like, well, if I do get in it, how do I get out? So how about when you're complete, when you lose everything, you know what I mean? When you have no frames, no underhooks, if you're, if two people of the same skill level, like let's say two black belts and one person has lost everything, bottom side control, is it pretty much expected that they're going to be able to pin them there as long as they want? Um, it's a good question. I would say that in my opinion, the answer is probably no, because I think given time, I think an experienced person will be able to slowly build their frames if they're just being controlled, you know, but it's going to take longer than if you're trying to actually like submit this person, you're going to sacrifice your control, but you're also threatening submission. So I think with anything like I think an experienced grappler is going to be able to eventually figure out how to escape your position. Mm -hmm. But like with, with side control, especially it's going to be, it's going to take, take some time um, to do so. But uh, yeah, I think hopefully that answers your question. I think there has to be some form of like progression being made by the top person. Um, But kind of the catch 22 is when you're doing that, you also make it easier for the person to escape. So yeah, that's, that's the way I would answer that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It seems like there's sometimes you got to find the openings, I guess, when they're shifting their weight or, or trying to do something versus just frozen there holding as hard as they can. Um, right. When you first started and how did you learn to get out of side control? Did you learn a couple escapes and reactions or did it start with focusing on certain body movements like the shrimping and developing that? Or? I, I would say this is how I actually got cauliflower ear. Um, is escaping side control. <laughs> um, cause I, I don't do this anymore too much. I did it the other day, but it was kind of, uh, just kind of in my lap, but I don't know if you know this, this escape called the ghost escape. Um, that's the way I've heard it where, where you like have, uh, again, I'm trying not to get too technical here with the, the thing, but like, basically like if I'm in bottom side control and they're off to my right, I have my right arm underneath their body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you can kind of use that 
to push up as you kind of slip your head out the back door. Is it an underhook that you have with your left arm? With your right arm. Oh, with your right arm. Okay. And then to my right. Yeah. Oh, I see. And then you you have an underhook with your right arm and you kind of just push and follow the underhook out out the tunnel when it's under there. Yes. Yes. Okay. And it leads very nicely into a darts. Um, So it's like a really good way to go from defense to offense really quickly. But one, it requires you to basically sneak out the back door. And a lot of times that doesn't happen all in one motion. And you got to kind of give like a lot of short bridges. And the whole time you're doing that, especially if you're in a gi, your ear is grinding across their chest. (laughs) And that was like my favorite move when I was going from like white to blue belt. And I, I am almost guaranteed I got call fire ear because of that move. Um, but I did it a lot. I really enjoyed it and I would just force it. And, uh, now I, I really think, um, that moves like that are great because like they work every now and then. Um, but it's kind of like putting all your eggs in one basket. And then if it doesn't work, you end up like most of the time you end up smashed and bottom, um, North South. So in my opinion, what I do now is that that move kind of relies on holding them to you and they're going to posture up if they escape. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you prioritize moves that require hooks, meaning like I'm pulling someone towards me, when they don't work, it often leads to you continuing to be smashed. Whereas when you prioritize moves that use frames if it doesn't work then they just back away and you reboot you know so in my opinion what i've what i've tried to gravitate my game towards is techniques that prioritize frames but have like supplemental hooks if that makes sense so like if you are getting your guard passed it's hard i made a youtube video about this and uh yeah hopefully it'll be out um but yeah Basically, like the idea is like if you're getting your guard passed and you have one frame and three hooks, you should probably switch that and have three frames and one hook. Mm. That way, if like one of your hooks or one of your frames gets like smashed, you still have two more and you can recover. But if you only have one frame and that frame gets beat, now you're smashed and you have no frames and now you got to start from square zero, you know? Mm -hmm. So in general, I think just like looking at it in terms of frames and hooks when you learn and escape, you'll start to understand like, okay, this escape is really good when it works, but when it doesn't work, I have everything pulling him towards me. So there's nothing like, I'm just going to keep getting smashed. And that is a very quick way to be inefficient with your energy, right? Mm -hmm. If like all of your energy is geared towards something that's like all or nothing versus okay, this sweep didn't work, but at least I got a frame in. And now I'm going to try another sweep, but that didn't work, but I got another frame in. So it's not wasted. I'm still winning little battles when I'm using energy as opposed to using energy, trying to go like all the way to the end and then just going back to zero and then trying to do it again and then back to zero. And then maybe you have like three or four of those and then you're exhausted and you're throwing up on the side of open mat. (laughs) (laughs) Which is exactly what happened. Dude, that makes so much sense. So it's prioritized techniques that even if you quote unquote, if they don't work or you get reset, you don't get reset back to zero. And now you're, 
Yes. Ah, okay. So prioritize when you're escaping from bottom side control, prioritize techniques where plan B is at least a frame. Right. Yeah. It's kind of like I'm trying to relate this a little bit to like an example, like a risk versus reward example. Like, um, like if you're hunting and like there's a you know animal that's you know 300 yards away, but the wind isn't perfect. Like you can try and be like, I'm just going to beeline it towards that animal and hope that it works out kind of thing. And it might work. It might not, but like, it's just going to be like the quick way to do it. And like, you're kind of flipping a coin. Whereas you could be like, all right, like I'm just going to make walk a mile and a half around to get the wind perfect and then make my approach, which could work, could not. Maybe the animal moves, you know, by the time you get around there, but you're kind of like just it's it's the the like correct way to do it like if you wanted to do it textbook like that's how you would do it right and that's what i think like frames are is like i'm gonna make this walk around it might not work every time but it's uh like you're you're closer the textbook way to to do it that makes sense yeah yeah and you're closer for sure yeah that makes it for those who uh, are listening. Yes, we are both bow hunters and do jujitsu and we have podcasts. So we're basically both Joe Rogan. <laughs> On a much smaller scale. <laughs> much smaller. Almost there. Almost there. <laughs> almost there. I think we, we're like a million away, I think, from, from catching up. Yeah. Pretty close. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we should yeah. be there in a month or so. Pretty close. Pretty close. Um so, okay. So you first relied on that, the ghost escape. And then at which point did you start to learn something else? And did you end up picking another technique to prioritize or do you now have like a few go-tos? What's the progression been like? As you all know, by now I'm a huge fan of journaling for jujitsu and in life. And I've been working on a journaling app called Sherpa. It's designed to give you a few journaling prompts to set an intention, plan, or goal before you go to practice, and then reflect afterwards to help you get the most out of your training and guide your focus. Sherpa uses AI to analyze your entries, gives you summaries and insights over time to show you where you're progressing, and then pinpoint areas of improvement for you to focus on. We're looking for athletes to test out the app on a free trial and give us some feedback to help us shape the future of the app. So if you're interested in joining, you can sign up at the waitlist in the episode description or directly at the website, sherpajournal.ai. That's S-H-E-R-P-A journal.ai. So it's a, it's a really good question. I would say that I started to reconsider this strategy when I started watching Danaher instructionals. And I just even understood the principle and idea behind inside position. Mm. And once I understood that, it was like, okay, I'm basically like trying to use this like one piece of inside position I have to like escape everything as opposed to being like, okay, shit, maybe I should try and turn the inside position game into my favor. Like now I'm winning the inside position game three to one. Now I can counterattack because I'm actually like controlling this person as opposed to just being like, YOLO, I'm going to try this. And if it doesn't work, like I'm back to zero, I'm zero and four now, you know, um, on the scoreboard. So that kind of got me thinking about it. Um, and then as far as like actual techniques go, I, I have different techniques that I use, but for the most part, it's like each of those techniques is just a tool to 
get my frames in. So like there are like sweeps in quotation marks that I know, but most of the time they don't work. And most of the time it just results in you getting your elbow in or you getting your knee in. Um, and basically all of that leads to the classic elbow escape from side control. And um, from there, I try and go to what Danaher and, and Gordon call the clamp um, guard where like basically you have like um, one knee in their like collarbone and then one knee behind their arm and you're like scissoring your legs. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a, and it's a very strong controlling position and you can do triangles, you can do arm bars, you can do omoplatas, you can, you know, do anything, um, not anything, but you know, you have a lot more options from a controlled position as opposed to just doing a ghost escape out the back and hoping that you can come up in a front headlock or darsum. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, for those listeners who don't understand inside position, maybe we, do you think you can give a shot trying to explain it through podcast format? <laughs> you you do it. You try. Okay, I'll try. I'll try. So, yeah. oh man, inside position. I guess if you are standing or sitting or driving or running or walking, whatever, if you lift your arms up and then you act like you're putting on deodorant, <laughs> I guess this armpit, like let's say I take my right hand, I'm going to put deodorant on my left armpit. And I'm putting deodorant on. And I'm going to smear the deodorant all the way down the side of my body to my ribs to the to my hip. I guess that part is what I describe as like the inside position. Um, is that is that right? Yeah, I think that was really good. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and then uh, so when they're inside control, I remember from the Danaher instructional. I just watched the beginning part of the concepts. He talks about how. A pin is a series or a group of wedges reinforced by weight. And so if they, if you lie down on the ground in that position with your arms up and there's a metal pole right on your armpit, like sticking to the ground, like, a, and then, or like a, maybe you're lying under a table, let's say a table just fit to trap you on the ground. It'd be like two legs on your armpits and two legs next to your hips, I guess. And you're kind of stuck in this wedge. And then they reinforce it with weight. So I guess is getting in type position, you're trying to get your limbs, your elbows and your arms or in your knees and legs back inside to remove their inside control. Oh shit. I think I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. You're like, you're loosening their wedges around your body pretty much. Got it. Okay. Is what you're trying to do. Yeah. And exactly like you said, you have inside position, like between your armpit and your hip. But you also have inside position between your ear and your shoulder, um, which is like a cross face is filling that spot. Um, and you have that on both sides of your body. Like the sides right? of your neck. And then you also have inside position, um, like in between your legs, which doesn't apply to side control. It more applies to leg locks and things like that, where you're trying oh. to pummel your feet to inside position before you can enter leg locks. So, um yeah, the deodorant example is pretty good. Um, but yeah, that's just, that's one spot of inside position, but there are also other spots. Um, yeah. You know, it's kind of interesting. This this next example may be a stretch, but it's kind of interesting. I'm thinking about like the human body in the shape of like a starfish. And instead of trying to control the, the, X, the points of the star, if you control the center, like the pits of each of those starfish legs... If we're a starfish, you want to control those those pits. <laughs> no way. I see. Nice. 
Yeah. yeah. Like the joints. Like the joints. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I haven't said the word starfish <laughs> in like, I don't even know how long. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then when you cool. say majority inside position, like when you have three to one, that's l- your limbs to their limbs, I guess. You want more. Yeah. So, yeah. Like, so just to basically just quote Danaher, like, if you're losing the space between your ear and your shoulder on both sides, and you're using the space between your armpit and your hips on one side, on both sides, you're losing zero to four. But, you know, maybe you get, you know, your elbow onto their hip um, from side control. And now you're, three to one because you're you're controlling that space they can't control your ear and shoulder as well because your frame is in on that side and then maybe you get your other hand in front of their chin and now their head can't go down to the mat on the other side so now you basically won the ear shoulder both sides and then as soon as you get your knee in now you're winning three to one and now that one that they have is an underhook on the opposite side now that one is almost a liability because you can start to threaten like arm locks and stuff as they get overextended, trying to hold on to that one piece of inside position that they still have. Uh, so, okay, yeah, that's the uh, that's the idea behind the uh, the inside battle game. Gotcha. You're yeah. you're on bottom, but they're not controlling you. Is the idea right? I didn't realize in in my head. I didn't realize the ears to the shoulder was another inside position, like the sides of our neck, because I kept thinking that the four would be getting my knees inside versus getting out of the control getting my neck back in control and you answered my next question which is going to be i find myself creating some space sometimes when i'm escaping but not being able to finish the escape and i think that's because i still they still have majority inside position i think i'm getting like one or two like i'm like oh, i got my knee on their hip like how come i haven't and then bam i get smashed again so wow i'm really excited to go roll now and like just work on that inside position it's like the battles within the bigger battle i guess right yeah exactly and i think i think honestly this comes down to a lot of the way moves are taught in jujitsu it's like you teach some like fancy move and then you teach another fancy move and then people are like oh okay well when this fancy move doesn't work i just do my other fancy move instead of thinking like when this fancy move doesn't work at least I'm going to be able to get this inside. You know, I'm not wasting my energy. That's, I think, the biggest the biggest takeaway from bottom position is you get in trouble when you waste your energy and you're exhausted. And now when the window's open, you can't even jump through it. So yeah. just try and be efficient with your energy and win the little battles instead of trying to, you know, explode out and win the war all in one explosive bridge. Right. You know, yeah. this is maybe a totally different question. Do you think your your skills in terms of offense and defense progress at the same time? Like, I'm wondering for a beginner, is it better to like master this side control? So like not even a black, belt, you know, or like a purple belt or whatever can hold you inside control because you're so good at that. Like that's your game. Like, do you think in the beginning your defense progresses faster than your offense and your, your offense catches up later? Good question. I, I would say you probably get better where you where you spend the most time. And as a beginner, you're probably going to spend the most time on defense. Yeah. So um, at, at the same time, though, if you're like a wrestler that comes in just trying to win, you're probably going to be spending most of your time trying to pass the guard. And, mm-hmm. you know, 
you might progress faster in an offense, like in your offensive skills. So I think it's a little bit individualistic, but yeah, I think it just comes down to where you're, where you're spending your, your time. Yeah. And then in order to get promoted to belts, your both your offense and defense probably have to be at that level, right? Before they, it's got to be decently well-rounded. I think. I mean, there are, there are black belts that have never done a takedown before in their life. You know, like there are world champions that have never done a takedown, like legitimate black belts that don't take people down. They just pull guard and that's what they do, you know? So I think like a blue belt is probably going to be a purple belt in some categories and a white belt in other categories. And it just kind of blends together and you're like, here's a blue belt. That doesn't right. mean anything, but here you go. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I think, I think even like brown belts probably like doubt a lot. Like when they are going to get their black belt, you know, like how am I going to get my black belt? My, you know, I don't even know anything from turtle. My leg locks aren't even that good. My, this isn't black belt level. It's like, yeah, well, you're probably over black belt level and have been black belt level for a long time at, other positions that you practice a lot, you know? Right. So it's so subjective, you know, it's, it's tough to, to put an answer to, but I think at the end of the day, you can't master everything and you're not going to be black belt level at everything, but you're probably going to be black belt level at a few things long before you ever get your black belt. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. Cool. I think I took us down too far of a side road, but any other uh thoughts on side control bottom side control no i think uh kind of covered everything just kind of like sum up i would say like preventative measures is i think important so you're not starting from the bottom like oftentimes you're able to at least get one frame in before they like settle in to side control so um maybe try and just start recognizing when the battle is lost of guard a bit bit better and um it sounds kind of bad, but like, obviously this isn't necessarily a good tournament strategy, but like almost being like, okay, cool. You can pass my legs, but you're not getting past like getting control of my head and shoulders, you know? Yeah. Um, whereas in a tournament, you just gave up three points. So probably should fight for your card a bit harder, but like, you know, if you're actually trying to be efficient with your energy, you probably should just let them pass at that point and make sure that you're, you know, set for your, your side control escapes. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, yeah, like, do techniques but expect them to fail and when they fail be sure that you're not wasting your energy and you're winning a little battle with that energy that you used i think would be the two biggest takeaways because telling you man like 90 percent of the time i escape it's using the classic elbow escape from side control yeah but that never looks the same a lot of times like you have to like go side to side and use different techniques but it finishes most of the time with that escape from side control interesting okay yeah it's good to know cool um now i'm excited now about bottom side control there's hope there's hope people there's a tunnel there's actually ways to get out (laughs) cool thanks jake yeah thanks for calling yeah talk to you later